Philippians 3.10 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, that I may know him. Today I'm going to be in the ninth chapter of Mark. This same experience was mentioned in Matthew and Luke as well. Doubting your doubts. Do you have doubts? Have you ever had doubts? If you're honest, you'd have to say yes. Maybe you've got doubts even as we are sitting here this morning or listening to this message. Maybe your doubts have to do with your relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe your doubts have to do with with the Lord's relationship with you. What are your doubts? Well, let's look at this passage, if you will. Mark 9, beginning at verse 14. The Bible says, When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, Jesus asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I ask your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. They brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything... Take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. Doubting your doubts. Well, this is kind of an interesting thing because all three of the gospel writers talked about Jesus coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration. You know that mount. Jesus took Peter, James, and John and went up into the mountain with him, and there was Jesus transfigured. He, his face and his countenance, his appearance was bright as the sun. And there was Moses on one side and Elijah on the other. One represented the law, Moses. Elijah represented the prophets. And they were conversing with Jesus. They were there to tell the disciples that the law and the prophets testify to the fact that this is the only begotten Son of God. This is the one that was to come. This is the Messiah. So if there was any question whatsoever, God the Father addressed him the situation from heaven. Simply saying, this is my beloved son. This is the only son that I have. The one that I love. Listen to him. 
Peter, James, and John were terrified. Jesus consoled them at that moment. And Peter said, well, it's great that we're here. Let's build three tabernacles. One for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for you. It's good that we're here. Have you ever had a mountaintop experience like that? You know, you've been away at a retreat. We talk about going to the cove. Uh, Brother Jim and Melody are going to be there this week. Going to the cove, you're going to have that mountaintop experience. You, you have those in a revival situation. You can think back on your life and you've had that, that wonderful time with the Lord where you just wish that it would go on. This is what Peter was saying. What's the sense in going down in the valley? Now, let's stay right here on the mountaintop. Oh, if we could only do that. But Jesus knew that the valley is where the people are. It's where the needs are. It's where the spiritual battles are being waged in the, in the valley. So as Jesus, Peter, James, and John come to the other nine disciples, of course, the religious leaders are arguing with them. The man brought his son, who had all the symptoms of epilepsy, to the disciples. He had done everything he could. Everything that science at that time, medical science, could do was to no avail. So he looked for Jesus. But all he could find were his disciples. Sometimes we look for Jesus and that's all we're going to find are people who say they follow him. Sometimes that's good. In this case, it wasn't. And so, Jesus says, saw the large crowd around these nine disciples. And the teachers were of the law were arguing with them. You can imagine what their discussion was, these religious leaders. They were already dogging Jesus anyway because Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, and if he didn't claim it, others claimed it for him. They had seen in him things that they had never seen in any other living human. They saw a life that was lived in perfect harmony with the Father's will, and yet they saw the miracles that he performed, the healing of the sick, the blind seeing, the lame walking, and so forth. Well, they hadn't seen that before. But the problem with it was, is they knew that when the Messiah came, their religious positions would be abolished. There's a problem with that, with these church leaders. And so they saw an opportunity with the inadequacies and the lack of, of faith that these disciples had. They saw a great opportunity to get the crowd to begin to side with themselves and away from this Jesus who is claimed to be Messiah. Well, as they were arguing, as soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet them. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. Well, before the disciples could respond, a man who had brought his son to Jesus to be healed by him spoke up. Well, there's three things I want to leave with you today. First of all, it's when your doubt surfaces. And this man obviously had doubt. I mean, who doesn't, right? 
Oh, I know some of you are a lot more sanctimonious than I am. <laughs> doubt? That don't doubt. Not me. When doubt surfaces, when you've gone to all of the medical experts and they say, well, I don't know. I think it's terminal. Stage four. I don't think there's any hope. We can make you comfortable. I've got a lounge at home. That's not what I came here for, is to get comfortable. The man with the the son uh, came and began to, his doubt was not only reinforced by these disciples, but it just seemed to get stronger even then. When we trust others to do the Lord's work, verse 17 and 18, this man answered, Lord, teacher, I I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of his speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. I don't know where to go. We've got people not only in Sun City Center, but beyond. We've got people worldwide. I've heard their responses. We came to church. We sought out your followers. These church members, we, we know them to be people of faith. At least that's what they told us. They told us that they were followers of Jesus. And yet, I'm no better off than I was before. So what do you do when your doubt surfaces? What do you do when you come to the end of your rope? Verse 22, 23, he says, From childhood, he's been like this. He's often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help. I've I've consulted everybody I know of. I don't know what else to do. God loves it when you come to the end of yourself because when you're emptied of yourself, then he can fill you. And our problem is, is we're sometimes so full of ourselves that we can't see that. And so we come to the end of our rope because we're at the end of ourselves. But you know there's greater strength beyond ourselves. We hate to admit it sometimes, but it's there. We're at the end of our rope. Well, we know when doubt surfaces when we even doubt the Lord. Verse 22 says it this way, verse 23, if you can do anything, take pity on us. If you can do, you know, if if you can do anything, Lord. He's heard the testimonies that have been rumored through the villages. Jesus can heal. He can, we've seen him. We've seen him heal lepers. We've seen him heal paralytics. We've seen him heal people who had withered hands and blind who can't see. And Jesus chose to heal them. Well, I've tried everything else. Ever since he was a boy. Here he is. Probably a teenager by that time. A young man. Nothing has worked. So we doubt. We doubt God. We doubt Jesus. If you can do anything, he said. We doubt. Well... What do you do when that doubt not only surfaces, but when it persists? Because we cannot inherit our faith. 
We know that our parents, perhaps, or or our husbands, our wives, were, were people of faith. We'd like to be able to inherit that. We'd love to be able to pass down our faith to our children and our grandchildren and even our great-grandchildren. Wouldn't that be great if we could just lay hands on them and, and transmit our faith to them and let them walk with the Lord? Wouldn't that be fantastic? But no, they got to walk the same way we did, find the Lord themselves, walk in obedience the way we had to. So not only can we not inherit our faith, we can't transmit it either. Galileo called doubt the father of all discovery. And the Bible is filled with doubters, so you're in good company. Look at Gideon. The angel called him mighty man of valor as he cowered in that little uh, place threshing out wheat. Mighty man of valor. Well, Judges 6 reports records that Gideon said, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders about our that our fathers told us about? Ever felt like that? Wait a minute. If God's here, why am I in this mess? The psalmist put it this way in Psalms 42. My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, Where's your God? Job. Mighty man of faith said in Job 30, I cry out to you, O God, but you do not answer. And even Jesus on the cross would make that statement, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Well, we come to learn that faith is hammered out on the anvil of doubt. We come to appreciate the fact that even among spiritual giants like John Knox, A time in which his soul knew, quote, anger, wrath, and indignation, which it conceived against God, calling all of his promises in doubt. John Knox. Martin Luther put it this way, For more than a week Christ was wholly lost. I was shaken by desperation and blasphemy against God. Well, what do you do at that particular point? Because doubt, is not the opposite of faith. Doubt is imperfect faith. There is still that element of faith in doubt. To an atheist like C.S. Lewis or Malcolm Muggeridge or other famous and infamous atheists, there comes that point where, where when that doubt persists, that to admit your doubt to the God and simply take it to Him helps us learn to doubt our doubts. What if I'm wrong? What if God actually does want to use me for His purpose? Wow, I doubted that He did. But what if my doubt is wrong? What if I have believed that there is no God? And I doubt that there is no God. What if He exists? So we begin to doubt our doubts. What if I'm wrong? What if my doubts are wrong? What if I'm here today experiencing doubts about my own life and I've never really taken it to the Lord? Wow. Thomas, my namesake. Thomas the doubter he was called. Not the Didymus, not the twin, but the doubter. That's what we know about Thomas. 
This is Thomas who, who said, after the resurrection and not having been in that upper room, when he was told that Jesus was alive. He was resurrected after all. Thomas said, not until I put my fingers on the nail prints in his hands or his feet or rub my hand across his side where the spear was thrust. Well, I believe. And when Jesus appeared to Thomas, Thomas fell at his feet and says, Lord, I believe. What was Jesus' response to that doubt? You believe because you've seen. Far greater, hear that, Far greater are those who, having not yet seen, hath believed. In other words, you and I don't see Him physically, but we believe. Do we doubt? We doubt. Yes. What does the man say? Lord, I believe. And in that, help thou my unbelief. Help me in my unbelief. I'm having a difficult time with it. Well, faith is hammered out on the anvil of doubt. This same Thomas, who had doubted the resurrection of Jesus, doubted his doubts once he saw Jesus. This same Thomas went as far as southern India in his missionary endeavors. And there are still Christian churches that acknowledge his effort some almost 2,000 years ago. Wow. India. Is that cool or what? Doubt. Well, we bring our doubts to him. Everything is possible. Jesus said, if you can, he throws it right back at us. Lord, if you can, I mean, you can heal me if you can. What do you mean if? Is that the right response from us to the sovereign of the universe? He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we come to Jesus. And it's okay, folks. He can handle us. And He can handle our doubt. So don't ever think, I wouldn't dare doubt because I couldn't take it to Jesus when in your heart you're doubting. When in your heart you're saying, it can't happen. Now, it may not be what Jesus wants for us. But to say to him, I took my faith to you and and you didn't return it, is wrong. Because Jesus is taking our doubts and helping us work through these doubts. You know... Some of us here today are struggling with some tough stuff. I mean, I've talked to some of you about medical issues that you have, health issues that you have, emotional things, family relationships, all kinds of things that are going on in your life. And sometimes we we want to segment God to the extent that we've got this place for God here and, and we've got family life here and we segment our entire lives and we've got church life here and we've got community life here and so we have little compartments. And so we're afraid to allow God sometimes to open the partitions of these compartments and become Lord of them. Oh, Lord, I, I know you could work on our relationship. I'm just not sure you really want to get into that. 
Lord, I, I, I know that my health... Well, you've got a lot of people in this world. There's six, seven billion people. I mean, it, it increases every day. And there's a lot of people around here. Why, why would you be so concerned with me? All of these thoughts are going through this father's head at that time. Lord, you, you've got so many people. Look at the crowd around you. And they're pressing in. And, and you've got these nine disciples. They couldn't heal. I'm not sure you can either. Lord, if you can. If you can. Two, what I love about Jesus is He always requires that demonstration of faith from us. To the extent that to the man who was lame or paralyzed, rise, take up your bed, and walk. And I'm sure there was that brief moment when he was thinking, boy, I'd love to walk. You think I could do it? I mean, that's putting a lot of faith in Jesus. Or to the, to the blind man. What did Jesus ask him? What do you want me to do? Why would you ask a question like that to a blind person? What do you want me to do? Well, Lord, we want to we see. That's what you want me to do. And in their hearts, they're saying, I know, Lord, that you can do this, that you can facilitate this. I know you can heal. So God healed them. Now, am I saying everyone's going to be healed? No. Sometimes it's not God's will that that we're healed from something like that. Sometimes God brings us to something like that so that he could bring us through it so that we can be witnesses to others who are going through similar circumstances. We can tell other persons, non-believers and Christians alike, what it's like to have to deal with these kind of situations in our lives. And how we do it in faith. Oh, I believe it. So here we are. He said, everything is possible to him who believes. Why? You know, just six, in the sixth chapter of Mark, just a few chapters earlier, Jesus commissioned the disciples to go out by twos. And the Bible says that he empowered them to not only heal the sick, but to cast out demons. Why couldn't they do this? What was it in the nine that, that were inhibited from doing this? It was their lack of faith as well. What did Jesus say? He says, Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? How long? You've been with me these three plus years. You've seen what I do. You've heard what I say. You've experienced what I, what God the Father has done through me. Why could you not heal this boy? Well, probably because the church leaders got to them. It's true. Here they are. I know, I'm a church leader. Here they are, and forgive me for ever instilling any kind of doubt whatsoever in what the Lord can do in your life, because I don't intend to do that at all. But they were arguing with him. Yeah, and boy, did they take that opportunity. They took the opportunity to tell the disciples how inadequate they were in their faith. Do you ever have people doing that to you? Oh, yeah, you're a true believer. If you were really a believer, these things wouldn't be happening to you. Remember Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, the three friends of Job? 
Oh, Job, you know why your suffering's great? Because your sin is great. The greater you suffer, the greater your sin. That's the reason. I mean, if you were really, really walking with the Lord, you'd be healthy, wealthy, and wise. That's not the place to amen. Because it's just not true. It's absolutely a lie of Satan. Now, why? Because God can use us where we are, and he puts us where we are to use us in that capacity. Some of us would do not do well being wealthy. Look at all the shipwrecks after lottery winners. Some of us do better being impoverished. Some of us do better being healthy than we do being sick. Some of us make great testimonies to those who are ill or experiencing the same circumstances that we are. Some of my greatest witnesses in my life and the greatest examples of faith to me are people who have experienced certain things in their lives that would just absolutely devastate others. But they go through those experiences with the faith that just demands attention. And they're such wonderful witnesses to me. Well, I thank God that C.S. Lewis doubted his doubts and came to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. I thank God that others have as well. Because sometimes that light becomes so bright when we begin to doubt our doubts. We say, Lord, if you can, I believe my family should know the Lord as their personal Lord and Savior. And then I come to him and say, well, maybe it's not your will, Lord. Maybe it's not yours at all. And we just start hedging on our faith. And it starts, the enemy sits there on our shoulder and starts saying, do you really believe that? I mean, do you really? Do you really? This is what those teachers were telling the disciples. Do you really think Jesus is all that? I mean, I know what we've heard him do. And I know, but this man, look at this. Obviously, this boy has a, has a demon of some kind. You really believe that Jesus, the man from Nazareth, the carpenter's son, can do this? Absolutely. What do you want me to do? Jesus said. He says, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can. And that's the question to you and I. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? You are probably, if you don't know Jesus Christ, and you've come to a certain point in your life where you have lived a life apart from God, you're probably sitting there in that pew or listening to this particular message thinking, you know what, I don't think God can do anything with me. I've had a life that has just been going in the opposite direction of God. I don't think He can do anything. And so in your heart, you're thinking, well, if you could save me, Lord. I mean, if you could come into my life and, and make me what you want me to be, but can, can you? would you really do that? Can you do that? And Jesus said, if I can, excuse me, you turn it over to me. I can take loaves and fish and feed a multitude. Amen. 
I can, I can come down and, and do the things that I've done. If, if my father can part the waters of the Red Sea coming into your life is easy. What it requires is for you to know me as your personal Lord and Savior, to turn your life over to me, to trust in me, to admit that you're a sinner, that your sin has has kept you separated from the cross, that the only way to the Father is through Jesus Christ. It's not any, he's not one on a multiple choice questionnaire. He's not an option. He is the only way to God. You're going to find him. You're going to find Jesus Christ and he's the only way. All roads don't lead to God. They only go to God through Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, Jesus said, comes to the Father but through me. That's not my opinion. It's the words of Jesus. He said, I am the door by me. If any man shall enter in, he shall be saved. Acts 4.12, there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I mean, it's Jesus, the only way. So you're here this morning. I want you to doubt your doubts. If you think Jesus can't save you from what you've experienced in life, you're wrong. You turn your life over to him, completely committed to him, and he will do that. Now, you're struggling with something else in your life, perhaps. Jesus can take that and turn it in for his glory and for your good, for your betterment. He can take that illness. He can take that physical situation. He can take that emotional issue. And folks, it's not about your emotions. Emotions come and gone. Some people say, well, I don't feel safe. What if I didn't? On Monday mornings, I don't always feel it, you know. But by faith, I know it. I don't say, if you can, Lord. I say, this is what you've done. And by faith, I trust you. What are you struggling with this morning? You're struggling with your salvation. You're struggling with some other issue. You're struggling with the relationships. Are you willing by faith to bring it to the altar, to bring it to the Lord, to lay it at His feet and say, Lord, I do believe. Help my unbelief. There's areas in my life that I'm struggling with that I just can't seem to get it together. Help me in my unbelief. If that's you this morning, come forward. Some of you are, are looking at church membership. I don't know what you've been doubting about that, but there's something in your heart that says, you know, I would come forward if, and that if is being answered this morning by Jesus Christ. All of us will make decisions when we leave this building. We will have made a decision, each and every one of us. If Jesus is asking you to do something, bring it to him. Bring it to him. Bring it to him. Let's pray. Our most gracious Father, we just praise you for who you are. Lord, forgive us for not just for doubting, but for not doubting our doubts, for not turning it over to you, for not laying it at your feet. Father, thank you for these decisions that are being made even now. So, Lord, we just ask that you'll watch over us. Help us to have the courage that we need to make the decisions that bring you honor and glory. And thank you. Lord Jesus, for these decisions that will be made. For it's in Jesus' precious name we pray these things. Amen. Let's stand and sing the hymn of invitation. I'll be here at the front to pray with you about whatever decision the Lord lays on your heart.